Hello, everybody. Welcome to ClapperCast. I'm your host, Carson Tamar, joined today by Paul Price. How are you doing today, Paul? Good. Do you ever have those weekends um, where, like, you know, normally you have three to four events that you're, like, doing or, like, that's it? Like, that was not what happened for me this week. So starting Wednesday, I got invited to the People We Hated the Wedding premiere, which is a movie I like. Um, I don't usually like rom-coms, Carson. I think you'll really like it. Um, but that party was amazing. Um, you know, it's it, when you go to premieres, a lot of times it doesn't feel really themed. They really went all out, you know, the Amazon money. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, and so we got to do that. And then um, I saw Bones and All, which is not my favorite movie of the year. Um, but I know you liked it and we'll be reviewing it later. Uh, let's see what else did i do um i went to a concert i know that's the big one i can't remember did i do some oh i went to the stranger things experience where front of the podcast chris is acting in it really um so that was really fun yeah i got bullied um by one of my friends in a (laughs) performance so that was funny is it like um, a yeah, haunted this, house or what is it? No, it's a, it's like a Stranger Things like interactive um, kind of a haunted house. More like a fun house for adults is how they pitched it. Do things jump at you? No, not really. Um, it's it's very light in terms of um, the scares. It's for kids. Mm. But um, it has some really great 3D effects. Um, Chris is really great in it. He plays a scientist or a PR person, depending on what day you go. Um yeah, it was it was really cool to go to. And then um, on Sunday, we went to the fucking Elton John uh, farewell Yellow Brick Road uh, event that is on Disney Plus right now, um, which was amazing. Um, I'm not even the biggest Elton John fan, but it was really cool to just go and be like, oh, yeah, we're like part of history. Like this is big concert. And um, it was really cool. Dua Lipa was there and then some of the people from his like earlier days um there were rumors that Britney was going to come and I've heard that there's reasons she didn't but other than that (laughs) it was a really good time so yeah it's been like one of those where you're just like okay now rest (laughs) yes I I, luckily I've had a much more relaxing weekend I went to a hockey game which was fun I love hockey games got very drunk at it which is great and then that's about it, you know, went some screening, <laughs> saw Strange World. We'll talk about it next week. Um, I think it was this week. Taylor tickets went on sale either this week or last week. And I fought for oh, my yeah. life. And I, you know, don't hack me, everyone. I got them. So I also got tickets. But somehow, even though I was dying for a full like hour and a half, we're basically in the same area. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was like scrambling down at the, um, I was trying to get those good tickets. Um, I got your tickets that you wanted. (laughs) I was the one to rip them out of your hands. I wish, um, (laughs) because then I just take them back. No, I like, we both have nosebleeds, which is fine. I'm just used to, I mean, and I'll keep watching. I, I'm willing to spend the money to get better seats. Well, I don't think there's that many tickets left to left for. No, 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 no. I'll just probably buy them from a reseller. I'll hope somebody gets COVID or dies or something, and I can just buy their tickets for the cheap. I love uh, the lengths you go to see Taylor Swift, considering you're not 
necessarily a giant Taylor Swift fan. No, I'm not. But it's again, it's uh, okay. So backstory on me. When I was 14, my dad um, and I grabbed tickets to Lady Gaga's um, Fame Monster concert. Um, And I was super excited to go and everything. And dad was like, oh, do you want to go or do you want? the money that you could make off those tickets, which Mm. I would say is like 400 bucks. And I was like, Oh, $400. Wow. Okay. Well, I never went to another Lady Gaga concert because I don't think she's going after like fame monster era. Sorry guys. Um, but, (laughs) um, I'm like, I've always been bummed because I was like, Oh yeah, I should have gone at that moment. And I don't know what I did with the $400. I probably bought very super. I probably bought a lot of CDs of Eminem because I was also an Eminem at the time. I love So like, yeah, like, you know, so uh, from then on, I've always been like, if it's a concert that feels culturally relevant, mm. I should probably hit it up unless it's like one that I know is going to be stupid expensive and I actively won't like the music. Then I like have been. See, I just never learn. And I every time I'm like, I'm going to buy one extra ticket because I wanted to. I went to Olivia Rodrigo, could have resold those for a good amount of money, could resell Taylor Swift for a good amount of money. But I just don't when I buy the right amount of tickets for my group. And I'm like, well, fuck, I do want to yeah. go to this. So I'm not going to sell uh, it. See, I bought I bought one less than my group. So that's good. Um, <laughs> so you can really cut one of your friends. And yeah. Uh, well, no. OK, so like my friend was like, hey, you got into the raffle. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, OK, I need you to grab tickets for my friend and I. And I was like, that's I didn't even invite you. And she was like, no, you're grabbing tickets for my friend and I. And um, I'd forgotten her friend when I grabbed tickets. So I had two good tickets set up. And I'm like, fuck, she's going to yell at me. Um, so I went back and I was like, all right, I'm going to try again. And then I got nosebleeds and I could only get two nosebleeds. And I was like, you know what? Have them. Fucking have them. And then the concert got, you know, the general sale got canceled. And I was like, nope, they're mine. And I don't <laughs> even know if I'm going to take the girl who was originally involved because I don't have to. Because it's not your fault tickets. that they failed to get tickets. Yeah, you know, we I know. are a different breed. We got, we did it. We <laughs> yeah, went through I the did, work. I did the work. <laughs> Look, I wish I could be on Twitter, you know, crying with everyone about this, but I'm not because I'm fine. So sorry. I would like better tickets, but yeah, I'm sure. Um, but I assume by you know this time next year, we'll both be close personal friends with Taylor, and we'll be. Oh yeah, she'll sitting, be on the pod, sitting at yeah, sitting on the VIP stage. Sure. Um. Uh, that would be great for our numbers if we could get Taylor Swift on. I think it'd be okay. I think if we could get, <laughs> if we could raffle off some Taylor Swift eras to our, our tickets. Yeah. I think that might do some good likes on Twitter as a giveaway. Um, oh, that's what we should do. We'll just give away our four tickets. <laughs> if you want to be the lucky guest to sit next to Paul, <laughs> follow us now. <laughs> the bandana guy like flies in from Sweden or whatever. Um, so Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's just been a crazy busy week. Um, but also all of these movies I saw pretty early. So that's been fun. Um, like usually like, uh, backstory to the, um, how the sausage is made on this podcast. Um, we've planned it out for like a week and a half, but all of us wait till the last second. And then we scramble except for Carson, who sometimes gets early screeners. And we scramble like Friday, Saturday, Sunday to watch like four movies. I was like, Oh God, this was brutal. This, I was just like sauntered in. It was great. Loved it. <laughs> now you get my experience every single week. Um, but yeah. we're getting to the point where now, like, we have to review films that we saw like months ago soon. So that's fun. Uh, that's what I'm doing with the menu right now. Well, let's kick things off, I guess, on that with our first course of the evening The Menu, a new <laughs> horror film 
um, coming out in theaters. Paul, I feel like you have the most visceral reaction to this film out of the two of us. So I'll let you kick it off for the menu. Okay, so you have to know, I was so stoked for this movie. Um, I thought it was going to be like this dark horror comedy that like was really insightful. Um, Basically, the film is these rich people go to an island where this uh, chef does a $1,200 per person meal, and it's really fantastic. And there's a mystery involved on what the theme is. And, you know, it's just been going on for years and years and years. Um, and then this girl, Margot, who, um, is on a date with Nicholas Holt's character, um, go to, um, she's invited and she wasn't supposed to go and everything's kind of off this night. And then things get a little violent and creepy. Um, but yeah. Okay. So as a base movie and Carson, I think you have a more visceral reaction on its overall, like how it's made. Um, but I have problems with the morals. So I'll let you go first to like give a more general review and then I'll get, I'll dig into the minutia, um, which will be mildly spoilery. So um, just be ready for that when I come back. on. Yeah, there's really no way that we can avoid spoilers. So once we get there, we'll definitely have a spoiler section. So, yeah, I was going to say. So for the most part, we'll talk very lightly, but we'll be honest because. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a movie that you have to talk about the spoilers. It, there's yeah, few that you can like skip around but that's all it really is um i do have issues with morals but i think technically the film is fine i think it's quite hilarious how hard this is trying to be white lotus especially like it literally has the transitions which is like the stock footage of the wave like it just is trying to be white lotus in a lot of ways but i think it's fine technically i think that for being such a limited setting it basically all takes place inside this restaurant over the course of a dinner um i think it moves quite well i think the production design is fine i think the food is weirdly underwhelming i don't know maybe it's just because i watch Iron i Chef literally America. wrote that in my letterbox yeah i don't know if i was like i like watch iron chef america or whatever but like for being such a fancy high-end daring meal in the narrative like this felt pretty basic yeah well there's um so there's a show called um please like me and there's an episode where they go to a fancy restaurant towards the end of the series um and that was like oh this is really cool you know aesthetic food things that like aren't particularly like oh i want to eat it but i was like yeah i get like these are really cool um this tries to do that but all of them are boring like pancakes is one of them um like sauces it's just it's so like okay um i think that what they were trying to do they got lost a little bit because there's none that you're like oh i would have really wanted to eat that no for sure um, I think the performances, I think the biggest issue is just so much of this movie is one no, and we don't necessarily, like, you'll get into morals. But, like, I think our boy Ralph is really fun. He has a good venom to him. But, like, Anya Taylor-Joy, I peace and love think this is one of her worst performances. And I think so much of that is the writing of her character and making her this final girl-esque character that, like, is out of place and she is narratively, but also just, like, really fucks with the morals, which you'll get into um, and I just, I don't know, overall this film, I think it's fine, like, at, from a technical standpoint, but I think narratively, it's just incredibly frustrating and dull, and it doesn't work yeah. as a horror film. What it was giving genuinely is, like, bad to average Shudder original. Like, if this was on Shudder in, like, June, I'd be like, sure, that adds up completely. 
I'm yeah, shocked no, it's I, out in theaters in November. I, I totally agree. Um, and I think that the TIFF reception um, is weird <laughs> because people really liked this movie. I am seeing on like Letterboxd and overall the internet, like people um, being more mid on it. So I'm like, okay, good. But like when I got, when I had seen it, I was like the only one who disliked it. And I was like, oh boy, it's going to be real hard for me. Um, but yeah, spoiler alert. Um, so my biggest problem in this film is actually my favorite actor in it. It's uh, Nicholas Holt's character. Um, so basically the film is um, that Rafe Fiennes character is um, wanting to punish different types of people who aren't appreciating his art. Um, so there's the critic, there's the people in it for the money. There's the people who um, weirdly, I feel like the actor is the same thing. It's like, you know, um, he says it's that he wasted his time by seeing this bad movie, but I feel like it's the same as the money guys. It's uh, repetitive. Um, there's uh, rich people who have tried the food and um, can't remember any of it. Um, they're like gluttons. Um, and then there's Anya and there's Nicholas Holt's character. Um, so huge spoilers. Um, Anya is a, a sex worker and he has uh, Nicholas Holt's character has hired her. And he also knows the big twist, which is at the end of the night, everyone's going to die, um, which makes no sense for his character at all. I did not see a suicidal tendency to this guy. Um, but on top of that, it if you're following this morals, so uh, his punishment, basically, uh, Nicholas Holt's punishment is he has to uh, try to cook for everyone and he can't cook. Um, he's not a he's not a professional chef. And then they make fun of him and it leads him to commit suicide. <laughs> so um, I'm going to stick on that point. And this is why this whole movie doesn't work for me is his character, um, because I fully read that if you use everyone else as a metaphor for the art world, as if you cannot make high end movies, high end art, not like, you know, TikTok videos or anything like that, uh, YouTube, anything. If you cannot make the best films, which I don't think this is, so we'll get back to that. Um, kill yourself. <laughs> like, and I was sitting there watching it, and I'm like, does this movie just tell me to like <laughs> seppuku? Like, just go, eh, just go hang yourself. Like, you're useless, you piece of shit. And I was like, wait, what? And like, I tried to figure out what else this character could have meant, but it's like, no, that's what it is. It's like. It's saying, and then they do it again earlier in the film with the exact same thing. He has an assistant who is like, you won't be the best in the world. Shoot yourself in the head, which again is like such a weird thing, especially because this movie is not that great. <laughs> it's a really like shots fired kind of moment. Um, but I really don't appreciate that, like that moral thing. And then if you follow that, Anya Taylor, Joyous character is spared. Because she rejects art. She has no interest in art. So what is that saying about like, not just like us who like like movies, but just like the average person like, oh, you can't watch Stranger Things because you don't you couldn't make Stranger Things like, you know, it's such a weird like, 
I don't understand what he's even trying to say. And, you know, one of my friends was like, I think he's just playing with fire and doesn't know. And then like, fuck you then. Like, if you're going to start playing around with these things and be like, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just being, you know, I'm just throwing shit at a wall and maybe it'll stick. Oh, doesn't it seem like it's elevated horror? No, it doesn't. Like, (laughs) elevated horror is elevated because it's a very simple messaging masked in something else that you reveal. Um, like a good meal. Also, they have this whole thing where they're like, uh, Nicholas Holt's like, you have to discover what the the meal is, the you know the mystery of the meal. He already fucking knew, so he's like gonna kill himself for like not even experience. There's so many problems with this movie in terms of like how they treat the characters. Um, that just really bugs me. And then at the end, they all die in a uh, s'more explosion which is as dumb as it sounds. And <laughs> like, we're supposed to just you didn't be like, think the marshmallow oh. dresses were like chic. I literally, especially the, uh, as someone who's like working my ass off, that girl who um, is killed and is just like an executive assistant. I was like, what the fuck are you doing with her? What did she do wrong? She's trying to get there. She's not even there yet. You don't know if she's going to be better than these people. <laughs> it's just, ah. Um, and yeah. And I also like, I think the idea of it being a cult of like chefs who have gotten so into him and he's like, this is the perfect art piece. Interesting. That is interesting. When it starts moralizing, about the real world and like punishing these people um not as interesting um also there's a lot of fluff in this movie like there's three deaths and then there's all the rest of the deaths so it's not like you get like okay i thought it was going to become um when nicholas holt's character got pulled aside i was like oh you know what we're about to do this is gonna be really cool this is about to become like willy wonka of um you know uh chef food murder and it's gonna be like i thought he was gonna like start burning himself and they were like no keep cooking you've got to make it for everyone he's like chopping off his fingers and like gonna like mutilate himself like this will be so gross so great and it's like no he just can't make something so die and it's like we don't know what he actually said to him so we're gonna do that cool thing where we just whisper it's like this is not lost in translation like please (laughs) i'm so annoyed um yeah so i've been saving this for a while because i was like i don't know who's gonna like this movie and so when you said you didn't like it, I was very excited. No, I and mean, even people who like it are just like mid. No, there's a lot of people who love it because it seems like it is. Like you said, it seems like it's some deep social commentary. This is the equivalent of a meal that tastes terrible and it doesn't have any value, but it looks great to post on Instagram. Because on the outside, this film gives the appearance like it's doing something really worthwhile socially. You know, the whole eat the rich idea where you have this war between the rich people and then the or like the privileged and the unprivileged. It seems like this film is building something. But as you've very eloquently said, at every turn, when you peel back the first layer of what it is, it's just meaningless fluff. It has contradictions. It does not have a strong thesis. It does not make logical sense. It does not make sense in any context. No matter what lens you put this film under, there is something that stands out as just not working. It's a film that seems like it's saying something. 
But that's not social commentary. To be social commentary, you have to actually say something. And this film does not. With how it chooses to villainize and also then like forgive individuals is very, very strange. Are you supposed to be with these chefs? Are you supposed to be with the rich people? Either way, doesn't seem like that great of a side to be on. It doesn't really add up to much. I mean, this is just so cheap. And I think the fact that everyone, peace and love Alina, who did give this film five stars, I think everyone who buys into this is just not like critically thinking about what the film is saying at all. And is just accepting on a base level. It looks really good and it feels like it's saying something. That's not good cinema. I will also say, though, um, we just had this conversation on the flip side where Alina didn't enjoy a movie Barbarian that we both did. And I think also audiences like being in a big audience i think helps um like in terms of like a preview screening i went to a uh press screening so it's very cold those are fucking cold go see a comedy with a press screening you're like you can't laugh don't laugh don't say anything (laughs) so you're just like that's why i I don't think (laughs) Uh, i I wanted there to be comedy and no one to laugh (laughs) i hated it at banshees of ina sharon because uh, I was like sitting there and I'm like, oh, fuck, like, is this funny or is this sad? And like a lot of people are like, no, it's really funny. There's jokes. And I'm like, oh, I need to rewatch because <laughs> I was not feeling I did not laugh once in that movie. Deathly cold theater. <laughs> See, I saw Barbarian like at the end of its theatrical release again with an empty theater. And it played so much worse, I will say, with that than the full Comic-Con screening that I saw that originally. The thing about the menu is like even comedically, I hate the comedy because like it works so hard to make you so disgusted and make you feel so bad for these people. And like there's a real gravitas to a point of like, oh, all these people have lost their lives. And then it throws in like a joke when it has the ingredients of a s'more and it's like, oh, all these people died. And it's like, well, it's not funny. And if you were adding comedy, I feel like it's taking away from your darkness at the point you're trying to make. Again, just like completely cannibalizing itself and eating any potential it has. Like, I don't think the comedy should be here in this, at least in the form it is. I think there's a way you could work in comedy, but I don't like how it's done. Yeah, I think that if you're doing if you're messing with dark comedy, you have to go. Uh, my mom weirdly saw this. Um, it, weirdly in that my mom sees like three movies a year and she chose this. Um, but she wrote me and she said, neither dark nor a comedy. Why called dark comedy? <laughs> so, that is very valid. I'm sure she meant to say it in correct grammar, but you know how uh, boomers text. Yes. So <laughs> I liked it. Um, yeah, it's kind of how I felt the whole time. It was like, I don't know what this is supposed to be. Well, Sadly, it doesn't seem like the menu was our cup of tea, what we were craving. Maybe what we were craving this week instead was human flesh, because we also had bones and all. And now I'm going to cut to a conversation between myself and our good friend Niccolo Grasso, um, who discussed bones and all. And everyone, for this bit of Clappercast, I am joined by Letterbox influencer, star filmmaker <laughs> in his own right, Nicola Grasso. Welcome back to the podcast. First off, just like, how have you been? It's been like a year since you've been on here. What have you been up to? Any fun projects? Wow, what, what, what an introduction. What an introduction. Uh, I'm very, very happy to be back here. It's It doesn't feel like it's been a year, honestly, since I've last been a guest on Clappercast, but I'm super excited. Things are going well. You know, uh, I finished my previous job working as a video maker in a museum, and now I am working as a video editor. Um, 
for for multiple people, multiple smaller companies right now. But you know, it's fun. It's relaxing. It's, it gives me some time to just you know sit down and take my time without actually having to do the nine to five. You know, taking the train to commute two hours a day. Um, and I'm currently editing, which actually kind of fits as well with this with this podcast. Uh, I'm currently editing a documentary that I secretly shot during the Venice Film Festival, uh, and there may be some hot Timothée footage in that. So it's gonna take a while because it's like ten hours of footage to sort through. So it's, it's gonna be another few months since it's ready. But this small scoop just here for Clappercast and its lovely fans. <laughs> Well, we appreciate that. Um, where can we find it when it's done? Probably just on YouTube and Vimeo on, on Enjoy the Movies. There it is. Uh, but it'd be nice to just send it around at, the, at a couple of smaller festivals if it's if it's worth it. <laughs> if it's just oh, I'm sure random it footage be. of me and you and screaming at people for screaming at other people and celebrities, you know. Uh, they can be some sort of, you know, probably someone's kink, you know. Just make sure that if Venice Film Festival sees it, they will want to accredit you in the future. <laughs> Just make sure you cut out those Ewan bits. Um, <laughs> oh my god. But speaking of Venice Film Festival, today we're talking about a film you saw at the Venice Film Festival. You saw the world premiere, I believe, which it's okay, I'm totally not jealous of. It's <laughs> Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All. Luca is on a like hot streak here. Oof. Bigger splash. Call me by your name. Suspiria. We are who we are. We've talked about Call Me by Your Name on the Brilliant Death by Adaptation podcast that yes. you host. You also did an amazing episode on Bones and All. I would highly recommend people listen to. We probably won't get into the weeds of the adaptation because you already did it magnificently there. But I don't speaking... want to talk about the book anymore. <laughs> I'm done. <Yes>. I'm done. <laughs> Thesis so, book bad. Movie. <laughs> Great, I would say. Hey. I'll start us off just because, you yes. know, the Call Me By Your Name connection. I'll do it. I'm the host here. Um, very briefly, cannibal road trip love story about this young girl. Her dad has basically abandoned her since she's been three. She has this taste for human flesh. It's caused so many problems. They move, they move, they move. And eventually it's just too much for him. So he leaves her with a wad of cash and a tape recording with all the information he knows. And then she sets off on this road trip to find her mom. All she knows is the city her mom was born in and the name, obviously. So she goes to the city. Along the way, she meets some other cannibals who have the ability to smell her out. Some of them are creepy old men. Some of them are Timothy Chalamet, which I would argue is the better out of the two. Um, And what you get, I think, is such a unique and tender experience, not just in romance, but I think specifically what Luca Guadagnino does best and why I love this man is he will take these stories and he will bleed his heart and soul into them. I think, and we'll get into it, this is a very big text when it comes to queer survival and queer mm. isolation. I guess you could really argue with most of these, like any form of othering, any form of isolation. I just jumped to queerness because I am queer. Luca's queer. It's what it tends to manifest in. But this is a beautiful film about loneliness and a meditation of loneliness on a beautiful 1980s American backdrop. Stunning stuff. I mean, I was little worried at times going into this film, like, will it live up to the expectations? Um, and it lived up to all of mine. Nick, you saw it at yes. Venice. Spoiler alert, you're here for a reason. Um, what are your thoughts on Bones and All? Bones and All is it, just on another level. I'm actually very happy that the movie released, you know, 
two months after its premiere because it's given me time to let it sink in a little bit. It's always the thing, you know, about uh, um, festival overexcitement. You go to something, oh my God, the first people watching, it's amazing, it's incredible. And I remember leaving the screening of Bones and all with, you know, people having mixed reactions in the crowd. There was nothing, it wasn't a, an overwhelmingly positive response, you could say, because of course it's it's Italy, it's Luca Guadagnino, they hate him. I disassociate myself from them, you know, in this case. But I left the screening and I thought, this is just special. And the best thing that I can say about this movie is that, you know, it kind of demoralized me because <laughs> I've, I've been working on a script about a cannibal romance for like a year now. And I, I read the announcement. I was like, "Oh my god, look at what you know, cannibal romance!" Like, no, it's not going to be like my book. Like, it's not going to be like my story. It's not going to be like it because you know I'm reading different details. You know, there's a book. The book seems sounds different. I read the book. I was like, "Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm in safe waters right now." Yeah, look at what you know is not going to touch my work. And he's like, "Fuck, he did it. <laughs> he did it so well." This film is. Like, honestly, I was listening to the soundtrack by Trent Reznor mm. and Atticus Ross earlier. I was just like, fuck, the tears, they're coming. They're starting to come. You completely, like, hit the nail in the head. This film, it's so tender. Mm. What I mean is this beautiful way of just bringing these worlds and these characters to life without spending too much time in, you know, backstories necessarily or flashbacks or anything like that. They just feel alive. And there is such a strong just love for people and for humanity in this film that I appreciate so much. And I'm honestly shocked at the, so far at least, lack of queer readings of it. Mm. Because I remember after leaving the screening, I was like, this is just so strong and palpable to me. And I got into almost an argument with some of my friends there. And they were like, how are you even seeing those elements? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like you said, Carlos, like the outsiders, it's present. You can feel it. And there are so many, like we talked about it in the episode um, in terms of you know differences with, with the book, but that one is just purely heteronormative, just in terms of like character coding and romance and everything like that. In this one, Luca adds a lot of, you know, just very uh, interesting interesting moments of homosexuality and queerness without necessarily mm. putting a label on it as well i think there is something so strong about it even with the opening scene there's like you know this uh sleepover gone wrong <laughs> you could say um that almost feels like in another context could have easily just entered blossom into a lesbian romance for instance um yes i i love this film like the more I'm I'm removing myself from it, the more I love it. And I'm so mm. excited that in five days from now, they're actually showing it in English, not dubbed, in my local Arto cinema. And I'm going. I have the nice. tickets ready. Like, yes, round two, man. I'm ready. I'm excited. That's so exciting. I'm going again this week. Um, I definitely get the mixed reaction. It was so funny. After I went to my screening, I have like a PR person I talked to. And I was like, oh, it's one of my favorite films of the year. And she like double taked and was like, bones and all? With like a disgusted look on her face. And I was like, yes, it's gorgeous. I think it's so interesting. The queerness is getting overrided. And I think it's mm-hmm. really easy because there's a lot of moments of boys kissing girls. Timothy Chalamet, Taylor yeah. Russell, beautiful romance. But like, I don't know, I think bisexuality, it's weird to, like, overlook. And then also just, like, I think there's clear connection to you talk about in the episode with, like, AIDS and stuff and blood and the importance of that. But, yeah, I mean, there's such a sensuality to Luca's filmmaking, which, I mean, if you've never seen a Luca project, maybe that'll be news for you. But he has this way 
of just bringing these worlds to life. I mean, you feel like you're there in the 80s, like sweating by the lake, hanging out with these people in the humidity. It's so warm. It's so warm. so warm. And it's so like palpable. You can feel it. But you can also just feel like the souls of these individuals, like the desperation for someone. And then they have each other. And that is such a huge like force. You can almost feel the power of them together when they like just look into each other's eyes or towards the end. Holy shit. In the trailer, oh. you see it when they put their heads together, like just stunning. Just wow. I think it's really fascinating. The performances here, Taylor Russell, incredible, obviously. I mean, I think everyone's incredible. Spoiler alert. Timothy Chalamet though, way more reserved than I think we've seen him in the past. And I think mm-hmm. he works incredibly well here though. Peace and love. My MVP might, might be Mark Rylance. He is so weird, but, like, so good. And so, like, his turn from being a character in a position of power, I guess he still is in a position of power, but you Mm -hmm. start to feel back the onion layers. And you see, like, this pathetic desperation of loneliness. Again, a manifestation of loneliness that has driven this man to just be kind of, like, insane. Amazing. Just incredible. (laughs) I, I, I'm very happy to hear, you know, such positive Mark Rylance thought because I think neither of us have been fans of him for a while. You know, a lot of the recent projects has been uh, questionable yeah. choices in terms of performance. But in this one, it just works. And I think it's just a look at touch, you know. Mm. But then, you know, just picks, picks these different actors. And a lot of them have been in other projects uh, of his as well. But he just knows how to use them appropriately and Mark Rylance is just chewing the scenery up even in a way that's so like like effective even if you're laughing at him I think it's intentional like it's yeah. not meant to be taken 100% seriously there's one moment uh, towards let's say the, the end of the second act where he just freaks out at Taylor Russell <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, what's happening here but it's glorious it's glorious um, but I'm very happy that like speaking of Taylor Russell I was here I was here last year talking about uh, the escape room movie, was it Tournament of oh, Champions boy. or something? Yeah. I was like, Tyler Russell is great. Like she, she's just too good for this movie. She's going places. And one year later, I'm proven right. Like, <laughs> yes, you go, girl. You know, winning awards left and right right now. Ah, yeah, she's amazing. Oh, incredible. Um, I will say though, Luca Michael Stuhlberg, seeing him in that <laughs> hair, I will just say I like almost screamed. What a choice. But still, I think that's a good moment. I think that dynamic is a very key scene, especially with queerness. That's definitely like a queer reading you can give to that. Yeah, that entire moment between, it's like speaking of weirdness, David Gordon Green pops up in the movies. Like, what? what's happening yes. with David Gordon Green just, you know, having cameos in movies in 2022? Well, it makes sense not to judge you, not to attack you, I'm going to say. But it makes sense <laughs> that he was here rather than directing Halloween Ends because that film was not well-directed, but... I'll leave that for another day. You know, maybe I could potentially say yes, because someone better than him directed Halloween Ends. That's you know, fair. it's a bang <laughs> film, but it's not that conversation. Um, but yes, that's, that's again, an entirely original scene that's so... Again, just, just you feel it on your chest, on your hair, mm. and it's, you know, it's... One of the best things I can say about this film as well is that you never really know where it's going, even if you've mm. read the book. Every scene, just like that one, like, is this go- are, are these two men threatening to the children? Because, you know, mm-hmm. they're big, they're kind of creepy, but also they're just having this normal conversation, you know, keeping their distances, nothing. You know, they're not pushing boundaries or anything. But then the more they start talking, like, where is this going to end up going? Mm-hmm. And there's this one element 
that was kind of present in the book, but I particularly love in this film, is the idea that these cannibals can just kind of feel each other. You know, they just smell each other off. And it's so, you know, not only does it add to the overall texture of the world that Luca is creating, it usually manages to create, but it's something so primal Mm. and animalistic in a way that, like, you you seldom find in romantic stories. And I think the overall thesis of this is that, you know, it can be seen as romantic love or any type of love that you want. But there is something just so, so powerful, I think, about a story of people that just just don't fit in the world. Mm. That they are almost almost cursed, you could say, to just be on their own, constantly walking around. Because as you as you mentioned, like Maureen, this poor girl, like she cannot control herself. She cannot control who she is. And what ends up happening is she has to move. She cannot just embrace it and accept it. And so the fact that she finds someone like her who understands her, like they see each other in the other mm-hmm. person's eyes. You could just call this call me by your name and it would fit, honestly. Like they're one and the same. Ooh, whoa. Just, it's just it's honestly giving me goosebumps just thinking about it. Um, and th- th- this is something I've always wondered. Like, I don't know anything about Guadagnino's personal life. He's never been someone who just, you know, talks publicly about it. He's a very reserved mm-hmm. man. And I think that privacy comes through in these movies as well. Like you mentioned, even uh, Shalom's mm. performance, it is so, so quiet, so, so beautifully restrained, which is one of, it's mm. one of those roles that could have gone so badly. I didn't even realize he was one of the producers on this. Um, I was watching one of his, um, one of the featurettes that just was released yesterday. I was like, oh my, he was a producer. I totally didn't realize that. Um, and he manages to add interesting inputs to the character, even the design of it. They mm-hmm. were talking about, you know, like maybe maybe Lee picked up, you know, clothing and even looks from his victims and other people that he crosses paths with. So he's almost like this androgynous, sexless like mm. person. And you can tell it like this longish hair, but it's a bit red, but also natural color. Just this old, dirty jacket that he wears. Oh, it's... I, I, I genuinely think it's one of those movies that is going to age the best mm. out of 2022 because so many of the others that have come out are just, you know, they can be good, they can be bad, whatever, but you just forget about them after a week or two, regardless of how you really feel about them. And it's a shame, honestly, but, but Bones and All feels like it's something that's meant to stay. I don't know if yes. it makes sense. No, absolutely. I cannot agree more because even just like, in these this conversation, I'm getting flashbacks. Of what maybe we'll talk about in the spoiler section about mm-hmm. like how Timothy Chalamet's character, the ending of him with that couple of I guess we will call them of cannibals in the woods. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many layers here to peel back when it comes to, like motivation, psychology, messaging, meaning, and those are the films that ultimately stay around and that get analyzed and get worshipped and get talked about. I mean, peace and love, power of the dog. Not to, you know, kick you while you're down. But, like, no one talks about that film anymore because it has absolutely nothing to it. Bones and all. not. True. I'm really attacking Nick for being on this podcast <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> Normally, I just shit talk these films and you're not here, so it's okay. But now you're here and you like them. I apologize. But, no, but it's true, honestly. Uh, no one talks about it because the thesis of that film is that they're gay and it's like okay great this film there's so many (laughs) layers we will be talking about this for years i feel and i love that 
The last bit I have, at least before the spoilers section, is the visuals. I think a lot of people are talking about the landscapes, which are basically just paintings brought to life. Mm. I want to draw attention to the night scenes because I had no idea this was the aesthetic he's going for, where he just throws this big ass light on these people and it looks amazing like not like good it doesn't look like night but i don't mind if you have such a strong style it feels like a 80s horror movie like it's done in like this way where it's not trying to hide what it is it's not trying to hide its fiction it just has it has this giant light and it's gorgeous from that scene on i was like oh aesthetically this is like a movie made for me more than i think any of his other films like i love this like 80s somewhat self-aware tongue-in-cheek like just beautiful Mm. also the cinematography is stunning in this film the colors i mean i mentioned the landscapes it literally is paintings like literally he makes cinematic paintings in this it's gorgeous who's doing it like him no one no and and even the fact that he like he shot it in 35 millimeter just oh i I was listening him talk about the movie like a lot of the people that worked on it were are fairly young like the editor and cinematographer are both 27 year olds like jesus hats off congratulations honestly for pulling this off because it's stunning um and even just i i'm interested to see what the reception is going to be on uh, on our good buddy uh, film twitter the favorite place on earth if it's still alive <laughs> by the time this comes out um because i can see this either being fully embraced by the community or not but this is like there have been so many movies that have come out this year that a lot of, you know, diehard, vibes-only fans love. I've watched a couple of those. I think they're flawed. Like, the, the new Claire Denis film, uh, Stars at Noon, you know, it has strong elements to it, but it's not as good as a vibes film as I wanted it to be or was expecting it to be. But this one is just, oh. Like, if you told me there's a three-hour cut of this movie somewhere laying around, I'm like, yes, please, I want more scenes of just these, these two, these two t- kind of teenagers uh, young adults just walking around in empty places and running away in the night and just being together is oh man what a film what a picture i am terrified as with every feature i've ever watched of what our good buddy jack luke sharp and yaka flash are gonna think because <laughs> yak will probably hate it i accept that but i don't know jack is either gonna give this one star or five stars i don't think there's any middle of the road for him Jack is not going to disappoint us. I'm feeling it in my heart. This is going to be a five-star, baby. We're manifesting it on the podcast today, Jack. We're manifesting a five-star review from you. (laughs) Um, Do you have anything else you would like to discuss before the spoiler section? I I Actually, yeah, I have a question for you. I'm curious how you felt about just the pure horror of it all. Because it's something I, I recently revisited Suspiria as well. And as much as I love both movies, honestly, like Suspiria has grown so much mm. on a rewatch. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm myself, I'm mixed up a little bit about how I feel about Guadagnino's approach to just genre filmmaking mm. because it's so fascinating. He, he manages to make these just pure art house films because this was what they are. They're art house movies, it's primarily about the aesthetic rather than a straightforward narrative with a lot of dialogue. But then he also manages to add this very strong, you know, there are like jump scares and there mm. are proper proper scares in here and gore and violence. I'm not the biggest fan of some of those moments. I'm curious to see if they're going to change. There's like a couple where it just, it goes a bit overboard, I think, with the mm. music. It's just like the strings and oh my God, it's the screaming. I don't know about that, but also I'm kind of glad that he's not shying away from it. It could have been so easy to go the 
A24, you know, it's mm. a horror movie, but just for 90 seconds in two hours. <laughs> just, mm. oh, come on. Um, how do you feel about all of that? I love that I like I feel like I know exactly what scene you're talking about with the screaming and jump scares. Um yeah. <laughs> I think those moments where it's louder are a little bit more noticeably out of place because the rest of the mm. movie is so quiet and tender. You're very clearly breaking the tempo. You're very cl- clearly breaking just like the established vibe of the film to bring it. Though also I think he does it sparingly enough to where I don't think it's like terrible it's not like a jump scare every five minutes there's maybe like two or three throughout the film mm-hmm. the body horror i think is done really well i have no issues with the body oh. horror i actually kind of wish hot take maybe this is just because i'm crazy there was like some more of it i yes. think like the effects when they're eating the people it's gonna it's disgusting everyone like you just see them like eating the flesh but like i think you could have pushed that a little bit further because i think for mm-hmm. this well I, I don't know how to say if you need this to work but i think it would be a really interesting dynamic and like roll not reverse but to really make the audience disgusted by this action because you are still grossed out obviously they're eating people they're not necessarily good people but you really easily i think root for them you really easily empathize with them which is good in the context of the social commentary but i think if you can really make the audience think it's vile and then you add that empathy, that's when you turn it on its head, and that's when you get this really wild reaction. Like, going to The Bride of Frankenstein, why not? Um, Mm. That film works because you it makes you view it as a monster. You view the monster as a monster and then it adds a humanity. And that shows you this new side of what you thought you understood. And that's where it plays on expectations and the social commentary is brilliant and it's infectious and it's impactful here. It's good. Like it, I'm, you know, I gave it five stars. I'm not complaining, <laughs> but I think that's just how you add another dimension. And you bring in the audience's, a little bit more, but then you also run the risk of people being like, well, I hated those characters. And then you look at the social commentary and that maybe not is the best thing. Um, that's I like that. Yeah. That, that's something that I'm actually struggling with as well. With, with the script that I'm writing is it's like, how, how, how do you write the line, you know, of just mm. going too much into the gore and the violence of that is inherent to these characters, because, you know, we're talking about cannibals. Um, but also, yes, I wish it went a bit more uh, more bizarre. Even though, you know, uh, people love walkouts at film festivals. And I did notice a few walkouts during the first cannibal scene, which thankfully is in the first five minutes. Yeah. So people can just, you know, oh my God, wrong movie. <laughs> I don't want to see this. <laughs> you know, I thought it was about something else. They can just leave the screening and it's fine. I think the relationship between, and I'm sure there's a fascinating feature you can write with some examples, but like how much faith can you have in an audience anymore? I feel like looking mm. at the tar conversation right now, which I don't know if you've been pervy to, where some people are taking tar bit. in a very weird way. That's like definitely not the point of the film, but like in this ability to, sh- and I guess actually this really does play in the tar, like narratively in this era where you can have people just like share individual clips and you can like mistre- like mistake, intention and take these pieces of art and make them like kind of bend to whatever you want them to i mm-hmm. think it's very weird to be like how i guess just like how much faith do you have in an audience and there's not any right or wrong answer can you do something bold and daring and expect the audience to play along or is that irresponsible in the modern climate i don't know yeah it's it kind of reminds me that the way that we've seen you know sharing clips out of context is similar to, I don't know, like 
my dad walking in the room as I'm watching a movie and kind mm. of ridiculing it. And it's like I'm halfway through a movie that spent 70 minutes setting up this tone and atmosphere and you're just laughing at it. Yeah. That's what that's what Twitter does. Twitter is like, oh my god, Adam Driver is punching the wall. Oh, they're gonna this do it for Mark Ryland. I hope you're I'm, fucking I'm ready. I'm waiting for it. I'm <laughs> waiting for it. You mean this is an Academy Award performer? Oh jeez. It's like, geez, calm down, people. Just you know. It's okay. It, it's it's always this ride where you're like you cannot be too serious, but you cannot be too, you know, self-aware as well. You can never you can never have both because people are always going to complain. This movie yeah. takes itself too seriously. Oh, this performance is just silly. Eh, it's fine. Just you know, especially the funniest thing with Tar is people taking out of context a scene that in the movie ends up being taken out of context. Yeah, exactly. And kind of used for it. It's it's so meta. It's I don't know if <laughs> probably just intended by Todd Field as well. <laughs> Genius just, if so. <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. Whoa. Uh, I love film Twitter. Oh, the best. I'm definitely not like counting down the hours until Elon Musk kills it. And I definitely will not be celebrating joyfully <laughs> as that shit dies. Maybe I can just talk to my normal friends and we, and we can just have normal conversations. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> exactly. Crazy I don't to have to narrow about. down all my opinions into a reaction tweet. <laughs> that's like, what, 100 characters? It's going to be great, guys. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, so I think with that, let's move into the spoiler section. And I will let you kind of take the reins. Is there anything you would like to jump off on as a starting point? Well, I, uh, what was most surprising to me, which I appreciated so, so much of the changes that Guadagnino did is just that these people are all standby. They're all, uh, they're all unrelated to each other, mm. which I think is just such a great, I actually remember, have you read the book? Uh, yes. Did you manage to read it? Oof. So yes, the fact that uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you had to suffer through that, it's okay. <laughs> through that novel. Um, but it, I like it so much that you know Mark Rylance is it. He really is just this creepy weirdo, who just smells Maureen off, and he mm. keeps popping up multiple times through the movie. I love that. I love that the relationship between Maureen and Lee is just so. It, it is a romance. It is a full blown romance. And and there are so many of the conversations that they have. I feel like the, the one that's been immortalized on the poster in the trailers that you mentioned there, there as well. Like, you know, with the two of them just standing next to each other, their heads bumping, where Timothy Chalamet is just saying something like, I feel like I'm a bad person. How don't you think I'm awful? Something along those lines. Uh, and she just comforts him. Like, it's so, it's so beautiful. Mm. It's so powerful. And it makes the entire ending... So much worse, so much worse than, than whatever happens in the book. This ending just, I was like, oh no, oh no, it's doing my ending. <laughs> That's the moment that killed me. I was like, at least the ending is different. Then I was like, no, it's, it's, it's going to do it. It's going to do it. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's genuinely heartbreaking. I think, I think the implications, which is kind of like how I changed the idea of what the movie might be about, because some people are like, this is just true love and something. I kind of like the interpretation that this is just, you know, the first love, the first true love that you get in your mm. life that's just taken away from you for whatever reason. It could be, you know, they just leave the country, the relationship just falls apart, they they pass away, it just happens, it's, it's unfortunate. Mm. Um, but they're always, always going to be a part of you. I think that's just so, I, I think the stupidest thing people can say is just, you know, the pain goes away. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> You know, yeah. you're always going to see 
I don't know, like there's stupid things. There, there are some times where I'm just looking at a movie's poster and I'm like, oh my God, that kind of reminds me of <laughs> It's like, oh, oh, you know, it's always going to be there even after five, six or seven years. Um, and I think the the ultimate moment that kind of made me tear up watching the movie and kind of even just thinking about it and listening to it is the song, the original song mm. by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, where, it goes, where it, the um, chorus just goes, for a minute, just a minute, we made it feel like home. It's like, mm. th- that's all that matters, you know. It, it, may have, it may be in the past now. It's painful. It's always going to be be there. But for a minute, it felt like home. I was just like, oh, mm. and that's such a warm feeling to have. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably just rambling. Um, but yeah, no, no, but incredibly oh. true. I mean, that like switch where you think it's the happy ending, and it's so sweet because you just want the best for these characters. And for the first time in either of them lives, like it truly feels like they found happiness. And then that is robbed from them. I mean, you're absolutely right about the pain lingering. And for, you know, lack of better words, there is before your first bones and all, and then there's after, and you'll never forget your first bones and all. Um, it's just heartbreaking. Oh, and when he's there pleading with her, just like, I want you to eat me. I want you to eat me. Oh, my God. It's just like, <laughs> Luca, what are you doing to me, buddy? Um, it's absolutely tragic stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. It's empathetic. It's everything i think you could want um i think that kind of going back to our conversation on the queerness because i think the queerness mm-hmm. deserves some attention in the spoiler section as i kind of alluded to timothy chalamet's character has a nightmare slash flashback we don't really know of murdering michael stuhlberg's um daniel gordon green he kills daniel gordon green which you know mm-hmm. woo! saw at halloween ends i had the same reaction um <laughs> Throughout the film, there is a interaction with queerness, but ultimately a rejection of queerness from Timothy Chalamet. And I'm not ready to necessarily Ooh. state if he is queer or not. He has he obviously kills the gay guy at the carnival after engaging in sex with him. He mm-hmm. gets called a slur by his sister. There's this consistent yeah. like battling of him and a rejection of homophobia and attacks, violent attacks on gay characters. And you could say that's just representation. He needs to kill someone. Sure. I think Luca is a little bit more intentional with his work here. <laughs> and I think that's a really interesting idea when you bring in AIDS and you bring in othering. Because if you want to read this as the AIDS crisis, HIV positive, you know, could this character represent a straight person who feels resentful or a gay person or a bi person who is repressing their sexuality and feels, you know, vengeful because culture, society, whatever you want to say, is blaming this on the queer population? I think you could read into that. I think there's just continued, like, the first time there is something where it's putting Lee in contrast with the queer community. Fine random chance when it's three times and it's most of the times he has an interaction with someone like that i i don't think it's by chance i don't know if you have any thoughts on that yeah i if i'm not mistaken i don't think he even kills any woman in this right i think they're all men yeah which is even even more interesting um it's 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 definitely something that I think has been is has been prevalent in Guadagnino's entire filmography. You know, mm. you could say not not yeah. The, the, let's say there is the element of rejection of queerness mm. that is kind of what separates, you know, someone who's prideful of of, of who they are and who's not. Um, and you can see it with you know with um, 
with Maureen, who's kind of, you know, like resentful of who she is. Mm. Meanwhile, he's very much at, at home being a cannibal. So, oh, I dig it, you know. But there is this element of, you know, just just even the the haunting nature of doing this acts of just having to kill people and eat them. Mm. Um, you can see that it's taking a toll on these people, but also it will take a toll if you let it do that to you. If you just accept it, if you just move forward, move onward a little bit with it, you know it's going to it's going to be it's going to be all right. It's going to be better. And I think there's something so fascinating that Guadagnino does not shy away from the violence of these acts and mm. from from Lee's Lee's actions, and that Maureen just you know still stays with him and sticks with him. Mm. And they almost bond in some weird ways. There's like this interaction where they're just talking about their past. Who was your first person? He's like, oh, it's my babysitter. And she's just gleefully like, oh, mine too. <laughs> you know, just like you're talking about whatever, like your favorite. Your first crush. <laughs> your first crush. Oh, yeah, it's something like that too. You know, it, it's 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 very funny, but also it's, yeah. I I also find it interesting that, you know, the fact that this is set well, you're more well-versed in American geography than I am, but it's more like Middle America, yeah. Middle Middle South America as a road trip, which is not, you know, the big cities, not LA, it's not uh, New York, where there's a more overt acceptance of, mm. of you know, otherness, even at the time, despite the, the AIDS crisis. Um, so there's definitely that element as well, yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, what was I going to say? <laughs> um... <laughs> I, so so, I get so about. sucked into what you're saying. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I I just completely agree with you. I think that the setting is key. I think that Lee is super interesting. Um, I will say I'm jumping around completely. You mentioned like how all these people are strangers, which I think is great. I was really worried for some reason that Mark Rylance was going to be Lee's father for a hot oh. second because oh, they oh, set oh, up, they established that it's lineal. And he was like, oh, I have a daughter and Lee has a sister. I was like, oh, my God, we're not doing like, this, Luca. And they didn't. The hair is the same. <laughs> they look alike, long hair. Thankfully, it doesn't. Lu- Luca knows best. Luca, Luca yeah, I just have to have full faith in Luca, which I don't know why. Oh, and, and he was also coming off his shoe documentary, which is amazing. Forgot to mention that in the I intro. Um, finally watched it after two years. Right? Oh my god, I cannot tell you how excited <laughs> I was to watch this fucking shoe documentary. And it was great. Um, loved every second of it. But yeah, I just think Bones and all, I don't know, I don't know if you have anything else specifically you'd like to get into, but I just... You go ahead. Only one more part, uh, which we briefly even mentioned, barely, barely even mentioned in the full conversation, is just the mother character, uh, which I think is the jump scare scene that we were primarily yes. talking yep. about. Uh, but you have Chloe Sevigny uh, doing a whole, you know, reading a letter monologue. Y- yeah, I that's that's an element of the book that I wasn't too big a fan of, even though I get it. I kind of get it. This yeah. is. Actually, how do you even read a character like that? Like, especially we're talking about, you know, the queerness of this story, like, mm. and the comparison and the parallels with, you know, uh, rejection and repression. Like, do you think she she went just overboard with going way too far and not controlling her her desires, you could say, her appetite? Or maybe it's the opposite way. Maybe she's, she was just so afraid of hurting other people that she ultimately just inflicted pain on herself uh, to the point of, like, eating her heads. Like, it's nasty. 
yeah. very, very nasty. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm still not too sure how to read our character and, and these elements. I think it's probably very deeply rooted. I think it's interesting, specifically in the Midwest, I'll speak to, like mm -hmm. this idea of like moral purity. If you are gay or if you're queer, you are wrong. You are hurting people. You are sending people and yourself quite literally to hell, which mm -hmm. quite literally in quite a few family dynamics forces kids to like go to, especially back in the day, like conversion therapy camps and to like literally think there's something mentally wrong. I believe at the time gayness or queerness was considered a mental illness officially and oh. to think they need to seek treatment to like protect others. Cause also if you're queer, you can make other people queer and then they're, you know, all this stuff it spreads, right? Oh my God. So no. I think it probably plays into that is mm -hmm. how at least my reading, but that's one thing like we're going off. I believe we're both going off one viewing of the film. This is a film that I think demands rewatches. I think it's a film that demands like yeah. re similar to all of his films. Every single film you find. I mean, I watch Call Me By Your Name and I still find new stuff every time I watch it. So like you need to really it's a film that demands conversation and engagement. So I think it's it's hard to have all the answers right away, right away, even if you think yeah. about it for two months and podcast about it multiple times. <laughs> um, I think we could probably do another podcast in next week and then come with a whole new theory and thesis. I think it's one that, you know, plenty of features are going to be written about probably on Clapper. <laughs> multiple features will be written about. Um, yes. Yeah, I think there's a lot there. Um, yeah, I will it's... say the thing I didn't, I forgot I mentioned, I wrote it down this time, is oh. the most poignant, one of the most poignant lines of the film. And you talk about like judgment and acceptance and how can there be judgment? Because this is something they need to do to survive. The line from Lee where he says, how dare you make this harder? Like, mm. ooh, got me in the heart, that one. Because like he is such a tortured soul and he's going through so much just in this survival and existence. And then for him to like, oh that support system and that just specifically it's not just like why would you make this hard but how dare you make this harder how dare you put more on me oh gorgeous line work i think i think a feature that's just waiting to happen is he's just treating bones and all as a spiritual sequel to call me by your name oh it's there oh it's so there it's, it's, <laughs> army it's, hammer it's, connection uh... if you really want to think about it there's a lot hey. there <laughs> <laughs> I think it helps have good old Timmy as well in here, which which felt like odd casting at first. I was like, I don't know, mm. you know, it's a little twink again, <laughs> once more in another movie. Ah, stop! But then, but then I I think he's incredible. Like I honestly don't know what other actor of his age could have pulled this off. We're talking about Tom Holland, buff no. Tom Holland in this role. <laughs> Just, I don't know how old he is now. It really depends how old he looks. But Jack Dylan Grazer could potentially do it from We Are Who We Are. Luca just knows how to pick these, like, kids who just can act. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sure, like, they're all kind of interchangeable. They're all amazing. Like, but I think Timothy Chalamet is perfect here. I was, like, worried about him. And there are mm -hmm. some moments where, like, I think his physicality is a little awkward, maybe. Like, when he's shirtless with the blood for the first time and he has this big old hat on. It looks goofy. Like, let's just be honest. But, like, I think he works. His subtlety really works. Again, like, this really opened my eyes like, a new side of Timothy Chalamet, which I didn't necessarily expect. Mm -hmm. But, like, because I feel like he's been, over the course of time, his roles from Calling By Your Name on have been getting louder. They've been getting more aggressive. You have the King. You have Dune, where he has scenes where quite literally an arc of Dune is he needs yeah. to be a more controlling leader. Um <laughs> And it just felt nice to see him return to like this quiet meditational state 
Um, I really liked it. I don't know, like overall bones and all. Unsurprisingly, I could have told you this at the beginning of the year. <laughs> I loved it. Um, five stars. Yes. Luca does it again. It's just like one of the most beautiful, poetic, layered films of the year that I know I'm going to revisit next week, literally. And I cannot wait to enter this world and these characters and these horrors and just seeing more and more of it get revealed. It's a rare, beautiful Americana, just layered story. I loved it. Same, same. Brilliant, brilliant. It just grows on you as well, which is always the best feeling with movies. Where you, where you mm. can still remember like key scenes after two months. That's the sign of a great film. Like this was in my top 20 at first. Now it's in my top 10. Maybe next week after my Thursday viewing, top five, baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, Nick, I want to thank you so much for coming on here. If anyone has not, Death by Adaptation podcast. Every episode is great. I'm not claiming this is the best episode, but the Bones but... and All conversation. Number one, Nick and Ewan read Bones and All. I think that deserves attention. Like, they deserve that click anyway. That's commendable but, um... for anyone who's done that in preparation for this film. Absolutely. In some ways, it was worth it. In some ways. Yeah. I mean, I think knowing how bad it could have been and knowing, yes. like, <laughs> Luca got hold of it over, like, let's say Michael Showalter. Why not? Like, I think I'm okay with how this turned out considering, but um, definitely please, please listen to that podcast. Nick, is there anything else you would like to plug on your time here? Well, if it's still up, you can, you can follow me on Twitter, you know, at Nicky 97 and also on Instagram where I'm always posting my, my reviews and thoughts. Uh, there you can find just links to everything that I do, my short films, uh, the best adaptation podcast, of course. And so definitely check those out. Yeah, we also did Luca Guanino's Call Me By Your Name. So yeah, we or, did on Death by, by Adaptation. Name. So Back plenty April, of Luca yeah. content. We've almost podcasted all the big ones. <laughs> we have to find like we are who we are. I we need that some we can we'll find somewhere. We'll find a way. Um, we'll find a way. <laughs> life <laughs> similar life to life. Finds Luca a finds way. a way. Um oh. so thank you so much for coming on, Nick. And until next time. Okay, and our final film today, Paul, that we're talking about is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Another Pinocchio. What does this bring us to? Four this year? At least three. Um, don't really know why there's so many Pinocchios, but we have another one, obviously from the mind of Guillermo del Toro this time. It's a more mature and adult version of the story that changes that. It takes the basic premise, you know, a wooden boy, Geppetto makes him, he's sad, he lost his son, throws him in Italy, right on the brink of World War II. Mussolini is there. There's bombs being dropped. There's basically Hitler youth camps. There's Heiling Hitler. It's very strange. It's a very strange setting for a Pinocchio film. Um, But I think it's quite a good one. I think that this film is pretty strong. I think the animation is good. I think that the voice acting all around is pretty great. I think David Bradley is probably the MVP, but like Ewan McGregor, Christopher Waltz, Tilda Swinton, how do you go wrong? I think the new additions are overall strong. I really, really like this film's take on death. I think it has one of the most interesting manifestations of death I've seen in film. Um, I will say... I don't think the songs are necessarily as good as some people are trying to say. Um, And I think there are some moments where it just gets lost in the very, I would say, weak plot of Pinocchio. I think it at least cleans itself up a bit. Um, But it's a bold move to take really a bad plot and remove the best part of that, which is the Pleasure Island segment, and replace it with like Nazi youth camp. That's a pretty bold move. Um, But I think this was touching. It was heartwarming. 
I don't actually think it's going to find an audience necessarily on Netflix because I feel like it's very confusingly being marketed as a kid's film when it's definitely not a kid's film, but it also plays into the stereotypes of the Pinocchio story. So like, I don't know. I think it's a very weird film when you look at demographics, who's going to go to it or who it's even trying to aim for. Um, But I did enjoy it. Did you like Pinocchio, Paul? <sighs> did I like Pinocchio? Okay, here's the thing. To be clear, I Guillermo del Toro's not the Robert Zemeckis. Yes. Um, okay, so I saw it at a preview screening with uh, GDT. And... <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Um, you're correct. It's very pretty to look at. Um, I also walked out of that theater and like wet cake this movie has disappeared from my mind. Like, I'm like, what happened in this film? Who was in it? Like, I understand that I have watched three Pinocchios this year and all of them are merging into some horrifying chimera. Um, But like, I literally cannot remember when you were like, you and McGregor, I was like, wasn't that Jude Law? (laughs) That's how I feel right now. Um, But also, I think that's a problem with um, his movie, because um, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's so different from the Disney movies. No, it's not. Have you read the book? No, the book is significantly different from Disney. He adapted this from Disney. I mean, I'm just going to be like fully honest. Like he adapted this from the original Disney movie, which is so strange. Like the biggest change. Um, and I was so ready for it because it was the most horrifying thing of my childhood. I remember it happening when I was reading the book as a kid was um, Jiminy Cricket or whatever his name is. The Cricket. Pinocchio fucking kills him instantly. He's in one scene and he's like giving advice and Pinocchio throws a shoe and crushes him. Um, and then the rest of the time he's like a ghost being like still giving advice, but he is dead. And we watched his corpse and it's really gross and sad. Um, but that is important because I think that's the biggest problem with this movie. Pinocchio in this version is like already perfect. You know, they talk about like the, the Western movies where, um, the protagonist never changes, but everyone around him changes that works in most Westerns for a reason, because they're like, you know, ciphers of characters. But when it's Pinocchio's like journey, he doesn't really have a journey. He's just sitting there and he's like, you know, I'm going to this thing and I'm perfect and everyone else is bad. And now I've taught them to be good. And we're going to this thing. And even when he does something bad, it's like, eh, it's bad, but it's not like, you know, Pinocchio is a piece of shit. That's part of his character arc is, you know, he can't be a real boy because he has no moral compass. Um, And then this, that's not what happens. He's, he's so sweet and the voice actor is so cute um even though his songs are so annoying <laughs> but like overall yeah i think it's i think there's really good moments but um i just don't i literally don't remember any of it and i saw this like three or four weeks ago when did you see this carson maybe two weeks ago yeah impressive that you remember anything about it literally my brain is just like yeah, really. All I think is like, oh, it's Pinocchio, but Nazis at the end. Like, yeah, that's... I know. And I remember all that. And I thought some of that was cool. And I thought some of it was lame. Um, exactly what you said. Switching, you know, the coolest part of 
any Pinocchio story to Hitler Youth Camp, but not even like really exploring Hitler Youth Camp. He's there for like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it actually and he doesn't he doesn't fucking turn amazing. into yeah, and he doesn't turn into a, a donkey. I'm I'm sad about that. I miss like the quirkiness. New Disney Plus Pinocchio. Yes. Did you like the donkey segment? That I thought it was amazing. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I Incredible. had a whole. Yeah, no, it, that's the thing. One of the most I haunting think that that... things ever. <laughs> a real boy just <laughs> I... gets turned into a donkey in front of you, and everyone's yeah, like, "It's and... terrible." <laughs> oh no, the movie is not great, but uh... no, that scene though is great. <laughs> yeah, um, I, there's so many like. I think there are aspects of all three of these, and I will say all three because um, even that that terrible one, mm, I had a great time. I had a legitimately great time watching uh, most the most fun I've any of the three. <laughs> like, <laughs> Easily the most fun I've had. Father, when can I leave to be on my own? Pinocchio, so, a true story. Cannot recommend it's like, enough. Yeah. And the way you watch that movie and you're like, uh, you know, oh, I can mentally, you know, wrap my mind around uh, what's going on. And then all of a sudden, Polly Shore starts talking. You're like, oh, God. <laughs> and everyone's so gross and ugly. Um, but yeah, okay, so back. You muted yourself. Wait, what did I end with? Uh, you just talked about uh, Pinocchio True Story. You just finished that. Oh, um, but back to this one. There are like um, there are certain things that like um, kind of annoyed me with this one. Uh, there's a lot of religious stuff that's like, eh. There's a whole thing with another dead kid that I just like. It doesn't really feel like it connects enough to me. Um there's there's just a lot of this it's like i feel like he's trying things um and you know gdt is a genius but at the same time i'm starting to feel like he's such a genius that people are stop stopping and going you know saying that like it's not stupid <laughs> like there's some moments in I this mean. it's like is this dumb is, I think it's better than that. Right? Yeah. After he made his fish sex movie and it won best picture, I think people are just like, I don't know. Cause it just feels like that. It feels like a, you know, a, a director who just has full control to an extent that, um, I've never been a fan of, I don't believe in full directorial control. Um, you know, a lot of times you watch those director's cuts and you're like, this is bad. This is a worse film. Um, but yeah, it's gorgeous. You're going to watch it. If you're listening to this podcast, you're going to watch it. I don't think, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I don't think it's my favorite of the animated this year. I think that still is. What's yours? I was just, uh, nothing. I was just about to check. I thought you were going to say something else, but continue. Oh, I was going to say Marcel. Marcel, let's, let's choose on. Just start that Marcel, with let's... like, oh, my favorite's Marcel. Oh. Um. You know, I think uh, saying that it's going to win Best Picture is probably likely, but it's not my personal favorite. I still like uh, Marcel show with shoes on, I think is like a stronger uh, kids movie um, in terms of like being an adult film, but like in a like s nice world. 
um, like budget, I don't think should be relevant in these. And I think it, uh, the two were a, there's a better story in there. I mean, Marcel's um, not it, animated. That's my issue with it personally. Um, it actually is. I have read about this. So they have specific rules and it's 75% by Academy standards. 75% has to be um, no human actors in it. So it's it hits the 75%, which you can be like, that is weird. And I won't disagree with you there, but also like maybe the animated because animated has now become the kid movie section. Yeah. So like, yeah, I don't know, maybe fucking allow Tom and Jerry in there. I don't know. What do you do with those movies? Like they're never getting nominated for best picture, but like we do need like, you know, kid rep. And you shouldn't you shouldn't have to think like, so that movie would have been like, you know, oh, we're not putting any human actors in it at the detriment of the story to get nominated for an Oscar. Sure. That's weird, too. Would you have been fine with just the dog? No, I mean, yeah, I guess more, more. I mean, I just don't think it's like it's just not animated. My, I th- give it visual effects. Sure. But like, it's not animated. <laughs> It's or else animated. every Marvel movie that has CGI or like any CGI movie. Should if it's count. 70, but it's 75 percent. You know well, what? So then sure. do you count? Uh, do you count whatever you call it? Um, stupid, terrible film. Henry Selleck. Wendell and Wild. Yes. Yes, it is. Ugh. See, it's the same thing. That was filmed. No, it's I don't care. It's all stop motion. It's not just putting a little figure in the middle of a real desk. Works whatever for me. i think anyway. Tor, I, this is my favorite animated film of the year sadly i will say marcel is not even in my top oh no it's in my it's in my number four yeah so it's in your top five yeah i mean pinocchio would probably be uh ugh, i mean be to be clear it's been this has been a year. weak year um, my highest animated is pinocchio at 25 like it's yeah, been a weak and, year for animation and usually i have a animated in the top five um, maybe there's hope for Strange World. Chippendale. I've already seen it. Oh yeah, <laughs> well, Chippendale. I like, I like Strange World, but sure. I like I've... loved it. <laughs> I no one else did. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, no, I think I will like it. Um, only because of the dog. Oh, adorable. We'll get to it next. I week. literally, when the trailer started being like just the dog, I was like, maybe I'm into this movie. I was like. Yes. <laughs> Less whatever Jake Gyllenhaal's doing, more dog. Because what else really came out this year? Chip and Tail, Lightyear. Turning Red. Oh, Turning Red did. That's true. Um, Is that... Minions. True. <laughs> DC League of uh, Super Pets. DC League of Super Pets. That... Uh, oh, that... Um, Apollo. Movie with Michael Sarah. That doesn't oh. count. That's not an animated movie. Uh, uh, what was Michael it called? Sarah. I don't know. And he plays a it's like something of fury. Pause of fury. Oh, legend of Hank. Didn't see it. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that is legend of Hank. I think <laughs> we don't deserve this. Can we nominate La La Crocodile for best animated feature? Um, No, because it's not 75%. They literally There's timed a lot it of out. Crocodile. There's a lot of crocodile. I haven't seen it yet because. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, so here's my truth. Speaking of Lyle L. Crocodile, um, I always think of Sean Mendez and Charlie Puth as the same person. 
and it really hurts my brain whenever I think of them as separate people. That's Fallon. He just oh, sings, though. He doesn't speak, which is good. He just sings? Yeah, he just... his The the crocodile does not speak English. It just sings in English. It can't communicate otherwise, like, speaking. It's I loved it. <laughs> the Sea Beast. So upset. I can't believe you forgot the Sea Beast. You loved that. Oh, the Sea Beast. Yes, he beast would be my second. My one. father's dragon on Netflix. I no have one watched yet it. to see it. Um, Nora Twombly or whatever. Um, but here's the thing. Um, Cartoon Saloon. Here's my honest truth. I don't know if I've ever oh, liked a Cartoon Saloon. <laughs> oh, I like right. my dad loves Secret of Kells. <laughs> Love that. I don't know if I've ever seen it. Like I know I've seen. That's the only clips. one I haven't seen. Um, and then there was Song of the Sea, which I have a real hatred of Selkies for some reason. Okay, well, I don't, don't know why. Racist. No, it's it's just I just don't like that whole. You know what? I don't like cryptids. I don't like Bigfoot. I don't like um, Balan. Anything like uh, anything except like the Loch Ness monster. I find that interesting, but I find that more interesting because I like dinosaurs. Like that crosses over, but like cryptids as a whole are not like my thing. Um, So that was always like a, I'll watch it someday, but yeah, I'll, I'll get to that movie at some point. I also like how this has become a retrospective on the animated race. Uh, (laughs) We're done. (laughs) Oh (laughs) yeah. I think that's it. it. Well, if there was anything not mentioned. um, Yeah. I didn't watch that. If there was my least favorite film of the year. Okay. Let's see. I don't think there's Uh, anything not mentioned. um, Animated films releasing. 2022 <laughs> turning right oh the bob's burgers movie terrible oh <laughs> uh, the bad guys actually oh, will probably good. be nominated i still haven't seen it um luck haven't seen it oh um <laughs> weirdly disenchanted is listed in this list so haven't seen it don't think it's animated <laughs> um i uh, I watched, uh, I guess I can do a mild review of Disenchanted while we're going to hop sure. in there real quick. Um, it's fine. Like people are hating on it and I'm like, it's fine. It is fine. It is fine. What are you, what are you wanting guys? Like it is not Hocus Pocus bad. It is just okay. It is way too long, but it's okay. Like I just get so frustrated when people oh, are like, <laughs> oh, it's not a bet. No, it's just, it's not a <laughs> It's for children. Why is this me after Morbius? (laughs) Like, no, that's for adults. This is like, oh, you know what it is? It's not for you anymore. It was for you when you were eight, when you watched it originally. This is just a sequel. It's another one. And that is different from Hocus Pocus because Hocus Pocus, I don't think children would have liked. It's weird and sad. This was just like, yeah, this is cute. Would I like Enchanted? I've never seen Enchanted. Oh, you would... Carson. I know. I know. <laughs> you should I know. double feature it. <laughs> You'd be I like plan on it. <laughs> you'll be like, oh yeah, this is this is my shit. Uh no, it is very much a you movie. Um also people that we hate at the wedding would be a you movie. Um there's so many movies. It's so funny because you're watching all these movies and I'm like, why are you watching that? And then you'll be because like all I... these movies that you'll actively like, you're like, I'll get to it. <laughs> well, they're not gonna get an award nomination now, are they? Sorry, disenchanted. Like <laughs> 
Sorry. I have a bunch of awards movies to watch. I'm getting sent like five FYC link slash DVDs a day. And I have to watch the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special today. I'm busy. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. The reviews of that are very mid. Well, I'm assuming I'm going to hate it. I don't like either of the Guardians of the Galaxies, but you know, they send it I to don't me. Either. So I, watch it. I think number two is better than one, but I think neither. That's why, that's why I have, um, for fans of the podcast, I ever accused myself from MCU movies because I literally can't talk about them without being like, I hate these. <laughs> I still haven't seen Black Panther. I don't care. I don't want to anymore. I don't. I don't care. Don't make me watch them anymore. Paul, you're not you coming have from to someone. Watch Black Panther because you're not going to understand in 25 years when Black Panther grows up and re-enters the MCU. You won't understand it then. I won't be watching it. Hopefully, I'll be dead. <laughs> Now that Bob Iger's back, I expect him to like come in and be like, hi, all of those movies have been canceled. They do not matter anymore. Let's start from scratch. End game. (laughs) New snap. (laughs) The MCU is actually ending after Ant-Man Quantumania now. Just end it. Oh, God. (laughs) I will say I'm enjoying Hawkeye. I randomly started watching Hawkeye, and it's the only MCU project I've enjoyed forever. So I I do want to watch. Fuck, 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 fuck. Iron Heart. MCU project. No, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> um, oh, Thunderbolts. Thunderbolts is the only one I have it's like a modicum of excitement for because it's like all the characters I like, meaning two of them, um, Florence Pugh and Sebastian Stan. The rest I'm like, oh, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. No, I am thrilled about that movie. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the rest can choke. Did you like Werewolf by Night? absolutely fucking not (laughs) i literally was like this is the longest thing i've ever watched it was like 35 minutes (laughs) i was like how is this still on and it was literally a tv show (laughs) i will watch like 12 episodes of nailed it in one go and then this was like oh i am in the trenches (laughs) Since Falcon of the Winter Soul, or no, since Loki, I've not finished a Marvel show. I watched all of Netflix's Is It Cake in one day. So, yes, exactly. I know. Also, I'm tired of people acting like trash is not like a viable option anymore because the things that are supposed to be okay are now trash. Also, Netflix, can you (laughs) renew Is It Cake for season two? I am very desperately waiting for that. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> you're the uh, you're like the same people that were really upset about uh sandman but it's is it cake <laughs> literally they announced they're like doing seasons two for all these stupid shows who cares is it cake that's what i need um oh i'll also say for our uh foreign listeners uh elite season six is out i didn't watch yes. it i don't care anymore but I'm glad that it's there for you. <laughs> How does that show every two months they have a new season ready to go? <laughs> every no, like, not time. just that. And in between that, they have yeah. um, catch up episodes, which are um, and Christmas so, specials. Yes, that's what I, that's what I was talking about. Those like oh. little catch up episodes. They're fantastic. Uh, they're better than the show because they're like uh, little like offshoot little narrative stories. But anyway, um, if you've never watched Elite first three seasons, really good, really good. Wrap up. And then you just need to watch Carla's special and then give up. It's you're done. There's nothing else. You are done. You have seen the arc. Everything has wrapped. 
never touch it again. Um, and then you, no. you'll be like, no, Paul, no, I'm going to do it. And then you'll be like, why did I do this? And you'll if be watching, I'm going to watch, like, if I'm uh, going to watch all of money heist, I'm going to watch all of elite. And if I'm going to watch oh, all God. of 13 reasons why I'm going to watch you would all of this love show. elite. Actually, it is. I it love is, elite. I watch it. Oh, you're, Oh, I didn't know you were still watching. I cannot believe, like, after the season five finale, I'm like, why? <laughs> what? What do I? Why do I deserve this? <laughs> what did you do to me? To the point that I have that preview content on Netflix, and I was like, they were like, do you want to watch Elite? And I was like, no. <laughs> Thank you, though. <laughs> I like uh, Elite. I like White Lotus, and I like um, Is It Cake? And that's about it. Oh, and I watched Survivor, and that's about it. So, so funny. I also love that um, two of those shows were like two of my favorite shows. I mean, I still love White Lotus, but I need episodes five and six before I or six and Mike, seven. We need to stop playing around. <laughs> I waited too long. It's too late now. We need more. Yeah, the people it's, are catching it's... up. I don't like seeing weekly like things that we got late in our screener package. Like I know we need it's, to it's get very these frustrating. Five episodes. Ugh. Well, well, cool, Paul, let's go finally into our question of the week. We are bringing it back because we're on the cusp, really, of Oscar season really picking up. We've seen most of the films. We're going to get Golden Globe nominations soon. Like, it's all happening. And just as a quick temperature check, we're asking ourselves and we're asking everyone else at this moment, what do we think is winning Best Picture? Not what do we want to win Best Picture? What do we think? And I'll start us off because I'm picking kind of the easy one here. The Fablemans. It's the movie I'm going to go see in about an hour. Um, it is Steven Spielberg's film, a love letter to film and filmmaking. Um, using that line, I guess, why not? Um, it is very possible this just Belfasts itself and it doesn't get there. But I think everyone loves Spielberg. There's a desire to reward Spielberg. It's got good reviews so far. It has acting possible nominations. I think it has everything there to at this moment. There's not really a safer option, but um, the Fableman. So that's why I'm going to pick. Paul, what are you picking? I'm picking a movie I don't like. I'm picking a movie I don't like. You could still just say <sighs> no, tar. No, 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 no. Alina took tar. Um, Paul, but you have I'm a weird way say... with these things. What you say happens a lot of time at the Oscars. Okay, so are you going to manifest it? Fine. Okay, okay, fine. Then Alina can have... Uh, I was going to say everything everywhere all at once, but Alina can have that. And I will take tar. Um, here's the thing. Um, I'll talk about both because I uh, was recently planning to talk about <laughs> everything everywhere. Um, I have had bad luck with movies recently in terms of best picture. Um, and whatever movie I think is overrated ends up winning. We've done it two years in a row now. I think we're going for three. Um, <laughs> so I just see it happening. Um, I fully see an everything everywhere all at once coming through. But since Alina's taken that, I'm going to go with uh, my heart. And I think Tar, I think the intellectuals are back. I think that um, film goes through uh, waves of sentimental and then also good. Um, and I think we're rolling back into the good, but like cold world where those movies last longer. And I find them overall better, but they don't hit the emotional curve. But um, we are in a, there's a couple of reasons. Um, we are in a democratic presidency. 
um covid's over there's no reason to be like you know sentimental let's start looking at a little darker things i just think it's i think it's the time um but you know it's probably everything everywhere all at once <laughs> no it's not don't say uh, that I just I do I see Fableman's burning out. I think that But it's schmaltz. not gonna be nominated. Like sorry. Oh, everyone. everything everywhere everything. all at once. No, I think it's gonna be nominated. Peace and Love A twenty four has not put together a good campaign for a single movie since Moonlight. Peace and Love, it's a very strange film that the Academy doesn't traditionally go for. I don't know, maybe I'm Listen, just delusional. I... But every year there's that one film everyone loves that turns into my villain story. It was Power of the Dog. It was previously like all these other films. And now this year for me, sorry, it is everything ever all at once because it's not like I don't just, I just don't see the logic in people saying it's going to get like supporting actor. People are saying it's number one in supporting actor. What are you doing? Yeah, but maybe no, that's not happening. I always uh, like the film, like worst case scenario, I guess. Yeah. Uh, oh, I can change my poster for Bones and all. My recommendation for the week is if you have Letterboxd, you should definitely pay just to have the no. change your poster. It is so worth it. It makes you feel so be- so much better. There's so many ugly posters that they pick, and you're like, oh. <laughs> and then you there can are pick so your own many art. cool posters you can pick. Yes, it's great for every single thing. Um, that's what I just picked for Bones and All. It's like, mm, maybe I like this movie. I don't. But <laughs> the poster. You love nice. it now. You get it. <laughs> I love it now. It's so great. Well, go you follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, maybe don't do that. But um, you can tell us who you think is going to win the best picture at Clapper Podcast on Twitter. There'll be a poll and you can respond to it. And email us because music. Twitter's dead. <laughs> yeah, Twitter's dead. Follow. Well, email us. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe Clapper Podcast will be down, you know, because Twitter will be down this week. Who knows? And then I'll just automatically say I won. Okay, and that's going to do it for this episode of Clappercast. Paul, where can we find you on social media? At price like tag on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews. Letterboxd is Carson Tamar. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Clappercast. Make sure to share us with your friends. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Letterboxd. If you have something you want to say, write us an email at clappercast at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema.